even as I come, even as I, even as I come up on stage, Ryan and the worship team, thank you so much. Thank you. And um, if I ever could learn how to play bass guitar, I'd learn like him right there. That was marvelous. If you were here last Friday night, what a great time. There are so many people gifted musically. Uh, this is a great place to be. Well, hi, my name is Walt McCord. I've been here as of today, 30 days. I'm so excited. I sent my wife ahead of, of me. Um, she came down three months before me and told me I had to stay back in Chicago and sell our house and finish the semester. I begged her, please let me come. And she said, no, stop whining and sniveling. <laughs> And do your manly job. Have any of you ever been to Chicago? I spent one of the coldest years of my life there one day. It is really, yeah. But I am so glad to be back in Texas. We've lived here for 10 years, and it's, it's great to be here in San Antonio. And um, tell you a little bit more uh, as we come forward in the service. I want to tell you about the elephant. How many of you have ever seen an elephant up close? Okay. How many of you have ever heard the word elephant? Raise your hands. <laughs> Okay, great, great. Now, we're, um, the African elephant can stand up to 13 foot tall, 13 feet. The African elephant can weigh up to 15,000 pounds, seven and a half tons. The African elephant can drag a, a weight of 3,000 pounds, one and a half tons, and it can lift a log above its head 10 feet that weighs over 650 pounds. Do you all agree a very large animal, the largest land mammal there is? very strong animal. Y'all agree? Do y'all agree an African elephant is larger and stronger than me? Do y'all agree with that? Okay, don't. Okay, he's stronger. Some of you are saying larger. No, he is. He is. <laughs> larger and stronger than me. Do you agree with that? Yes. All of you? Yes. Is there any dissenting opinion that, because that, I do look very virile and manly, right? <laughs> Bigger and stronger than me. Got a question for you. In my hand, I hold a stake. It's about two feet long, weighs about 20 pounds, right? When driven in the ground, right, can this stake hold an animal that can drag, drag a ton and a half and can lift over 650 feet, 650 pounds, 10 feet above its head? And let me just tell you, this stake was driven in the ground and I pulled it up myself with no help. Can this 20-pound steak hold an elephant that big and strong? And you should all say, yes. no. No way. But a couple of you are saying, because let me say, is an African elephant stronger than I am? Did I pull this out of the ground? Can an African elephant pull this out of the ground? No, he can't. You're right. No, he can't. And the reason isn't because I'm stronger than it. The reason is an adult African elephant can't pull this out of the ground because a baby elephant couldn't pull it out of the ground. You see, what happens is when the elephants shortly after they're born, they drive this stake in the ground and then they put a chain and hobble the elephant. And the elephant pulls that and it hears the sound of the chain and then it gets arrested. It stops. It can't get... And it pulls it and hears the sound of the chain and it stops. And every time it tugs on this stake, a baby elephant can't move it. Have you ever heard he has the memory or she has the memory of an, yes. an elephant? And what they start to learn when they're young is once I go up against the stake, I'm no match for the stake. The stake is stronger than because of something they learned when they're young. 
Now, probably there's another message for another day of things that we learned when we were young, either physically or spiritually, that maybe we need to break loose of that still have us chained. Maybe things like, you're not that smart, or you're not that pretty, or you'll never amount to that much, or your spiritual gifts aren't as good as their spiritual gifts. You can't play the piano like Ryan, few can, right? So maybe for another day at another time, we could talk about things that hold us shackled to our past. But I want to take you today to a passage of someone who displayed strength and courage and a passage of somebody that, that I think we would like to emulate and then take you back to something and say, that makes no sense. But to do that, I need to challenge each and every person in here to be discerning today, to be discerning. Because I'm going to share during the course of this message three partial truths. Part of it is true, part of it isn't that I think many of us secretly believe, I know I did for far too long. Three partial truths that will be put to bed from this passage, but we have to be discerning. So I ask you to be discerning, and, and I ask you to do that in a public way with me, and you can do it by this. When we get to these partial truths in the message, I want you to do something with me, and we'll, we'll work at this, we'll have an example, we'll do this together, are you ready? When we get to them, I want you to say three times in a row, out loud, grumble, grumble, grumble. Could you do that with me? Grumble, grumble, grumble. How many of you have ever had a pastor encourage you to grumble in church? Huh? All right, so three times we're going to do, can you practice with me? I want to show you a slide. This is a slide of a very special occurrence in my life. My wife and I, shortly after celebrating our 25th anniversary, we took a special trip to downtown Chicago. We took a special trip, look at the background, to downtown Chicago. Okay, that's much better. Actually, you guys are better grumblers than the first service. Good job. Good job. No, that's not good. That's not good. All right, but, but you can look. That's not downtown Chicago in the background. It, the partial truth of that is my wife and I, and that is us celebrating a special anniversary. It's not downtown Chicago. See, I told two things that were true, but I included something that wasn't true that was pretty important. And during the course of this service, I want you to think about it because, again, I think there's some things that many of us sort of believe as partial truths. Let me go next. Oh, let's go forward. Let me go next to a plaque. Actually, two of these hang on my wall. It's a rendering of a couple of verses in Joshua chapter 24. Um, you don't have to go there. Let me just read them. And you can see that's our three sons, my wife and I. That's over 15 years ago. They're, the boys are grown now. And it's Joshua 24. Listen to the courage of this man in his challenge. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity with truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served. And then it goes, and if agreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve. And then this famous challenge, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This had a great commendation. Even as Joshua gets ready to leave the scene, to pass away, he challenges the nation. And his challenge and his model and his example, how he lived his life, what they saw, what he challenged each of them to do was so strong that later in the chapter, just before it closes, in verse 31, it says, In Israel, serve the Lord all the days of Joshua's life and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. Joshua's example was so strong personally that they not only served the Lord as long as he lived, but the people that he had mentored and trained, the people that had seen him most closely, the other elders of Israel, as long as they lived, their example changed a generation and they continued to serve the Lord. Is that the kind of leadership we need these days? 
Is that the kind of man? Is that the kind of woman you want to be? Someone that not only do you impact those around you, you impact the next generation. You like that? So do I. So that's why I'm so struck by Joshua chapter 1. When in Joshua chapter 1, by the way, I will learn to use this by the end of this service. I guarantee it. There's only two buttons. Do you know what the AV people told me before the service? This is dummy proof. (laughs) Just saying. Where does strength and courage in the Lord come from? Follow along with me as I read Joshua 1 and ask yourself this question. Where do strength and courage in the Lord come from? Joshua 1, just follow along as I read just nine verses. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all the people of the land with which I am giving them to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads I have given you, just as I spoke to Moses from the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea, towards the setting of the sun, this will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you, nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to it from the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. As I read these first nine verses of the book of Joshua and I ask, where do strength and courage in the Lord come from? I ask another question. Why in the world is God telling this special man to be strong and courageous not just once but to be strong and courageous not just twice but to be strong and courageous three times in the Hebrew there's no exclamation points if the author wants to get something across he repeats it and the more times he repeats it the more important it is it's something that we should all get like if we were wanting to you all to know one of the core characteristics of God almighty is that he is holy no he's Holy, no, he's holy. And so the angels around the throne of the Lord continue to repeat, he's holy, he's holy, he's holy. By the third time, they should be shouting out, he's unique, he's distinct, he's different, he's not the same, he's not common, he's not ordinary. He's holy, holy, holy. And so when we get to this passage and we say, why is God repeatedly saying to Joshua, Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous. Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous. Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous. Maybe it'll help us if we know a little bit more about what these words mean. First of all, the word strong in Hebrew implies a strength in the hands for grasping something firmly. Like a a bow, an arrow, a sword. One of the passages that tells us a little bit about strong and courageous is spoken of of one of David's mighty men. After these, these are the names of the mighty men. And this is, don't turn to it, 2 Samuel 23. And after him, one of the mighty men was 
Elzeazar, son of Dodo. I wanted to get to the son of Dodo part and I got stuck on his first name. Let's call him Els. Els, son of Dodo. And it says this about him. He arose and he struck the Philistines with his hand, but his hand became weary. And yet he clung to the sword and the Lord brought about a great victory. He was getting along in the battle and his hand started to get sore. And he said, I can't hold on any longer. And then the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he kept holding on stronger with his hand. One of my favorite movies that illustrates this truth is this one. It's an older movie. Many of you don't know what it is. Get it. It's amazing. It's John Wayne Marino Harris starring in a movie called The Quiet Man. And in this movie, Wayne goes back to Ireland where his family was originally from. He had been a professional fighter fighting in Pittsburgh. And it was there that he accidentally, but in a fit of rage, in a ring, killed a man. He didn't just beat him, he killed him. And he goes back to settle his soul, but also he doesn't realize this to find love and work through some issues in his life. But as he finds this wonderful woman, Maureen O'Hare, that he wants to eventually court and then marry, she has an older brother that basically is using her for house care. And the two of them get in this struggle because he wants to, to date her and, and this older brother says no. And one of the famous scenes is the, uh, the priest in the scene makes them make up and shake hands. And then they start to shake hands, but they're trying to hurt each other. You know, like break your hand. And these two guys like are shaking hands and going back and forth. And finally, they, the priest kind of breaks them up and they break around. And Wayne commends to the other one, I, I hate a man with a flabby get grip. And he, that, that's that hold manly, hold on to it no matter what. That's strong. And by the way, I would, if you were in my seminary class, I'd make you all reach to somebody next to and shake their hand and like practice that. But if you're not, if you're not like really walking with the Lord, you might hurt him. So don't do that. But it's strong, right? It's strong. That's what strong is. Strength of hand to hold on. But not only that, what does courageous mean? Courageous implies strength of the knees or the legs for standing solidly. When you feel like running, when something inside of you says, we need to get out of here, You don't go. Instead, you stand firm. And if you want a passage for this, one of the great passages of the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat's about to be attacked by three kings from across the Jordan. And his three kings are coming up the back way, the Tekoa Ridge route. And they're not expecting them. And there's this sense of we are going to be overwhelmed. And yet God says, Joseph, trust in me. Do you know the battle's not yours? It's mine. And then he says, Jehoshaphat, you need to do this. Do not fear and do not fight the battle. Station yourself and stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Just stand there. When you feel like running and turning, don't run and turn or you'll miss out on a great victory. A scene, by the way, I don't always just watch movies, but a scene for this might be this classic on Scotland. Um, It's probably not Wayside approved, but anyway, it's a scene of a movie called Braveheart. Had any of you ever heard of it? Okay, there's a few of you pagans. Good. If you haven't seen it, it's a wonderful movie. And there's this famous battle scene where William Wallace is, is going to be overrun. They're three to one outnumbered. But not only that, the British hat, Longshanks has cavalry. And with that, the men are saying, no army has ever withstood a full mounted sword of the cavalry. We need all leave. And the men are starting to go away. But Wallace comes up with his group. And we're going to all die. And Wallace says, aye, you may die. But Levy here many years from now, when you, when you are going in, would you not have, won- and I won't do the whole soliloquy, but it's wonderful. It's one of those things is that afterwards you're like, I'm ready to go. Let's, let's fight something. I don't know. Let's do something. And with that, it's like, okay, what is going to happen next? And with that, the cavalry starts coming down the hill and they're coming a little faster and they're coming a little faster. And now their spears come down and it's, they're going to just totally run right through all these men. 
And while it's, it is dummy proof, right? And Wallace starts yelling, what? Hold. And they're coming, coming. The horses are coming faster. Hold. And the horses are coming faster and faster. People, should we run? Should we run? No, we need to be courageous. We need to stand here in the midst of this. And with that, they take their spears and they put them down. And the horses are coming. And the horses on the... No horses are going to be heard in the telling of this illustration. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. And yet they win the battle because they don't turn and run like they should. Instead, they're strong and... And so God repeatedly is telling Joshua in this passage, Joshua, if you want to do something of significance for the Lord, if you want to be used of God in some very difficult days that are coming up, Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous. But I read that and I say, why in the world does Joshua need to be strong and courageous? I mean, shouldn't God just use any old person? God's lucky to get anyone to be one of his leaders. Okay, we're going to practice one more time. If I use lucky and God in a sentence, <laughs> let me try that one more time. God is lucky. <laughs> Not only that, leadership isn't something that we're just, oh, aren't we just fortunate? Leadership is a high calling. Leadership is a privilege with great requirements. And if you don't know that, read the book of First Timothy, read the book of Titus. It's a high, holy calling, but it's also a calling with grave circumstances. And Joshua, you're saying, Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous. Joshua, this is part of the leadership requirement for you, and it's part of the leadership requirement for this day. Strength and courage. Only I'm sitting here and saying, why does Joshua need to be strong and courageous? Have any of you ever followed the life of Joshua? The first mention of Joshua is in Exodus 17. The Amalekites are getting ready to come and attack Israel. And Moses goes up on a hilltop and he takes with him Aaron and her. And he's getting tired and they put a, a stone underneath Moses and they help him hold up his hands. And as he's helping up, holding up his hands with a staff, the rod of God in his hand, there's victorious. But the person down in the battle that has the sword in his hand that's going to win the battle and actually do the work is Joshua. Or have you ever read Numbers chapter 14? We're going to send 12 spies into the land and look at this land, see what it looks like. Do you think it's a place we can go? What are we going to do? And so we spy out the land and they come back and the 10 10 spies for the 10 tribes say, no way, no way we can do that. But two spies say, we must surely go up. We've got to do this. Do you know who one of those spies was? Every time Joshua is mentioned in this book, He's strong and courageous. Why is God saying to Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous? Have you ever thought about that? This would be like you or I saying to Clint Eastwood, listen, when you get to this scene in Dirty Harry, I want you to act a little menacing. Just act a little menacing. Clint Eastwood was born menacing. He can take a sentence like, get off my lawn. Stay off my lawn. And he can make it into something that you're scared spitless about. Or he can say to this guy, you've got to ask yourself one question. (laughs) Do you feel lucky? Well, do you? Punk. (laughs) Telling Clint Eastwood to be menacing, is that, what is God doing with strong and courageous? And I think there's 
an example of why Joshua needs to be strong and courageous, and it starts right in the text. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, Moses, my servant, is... You know, Joshua had done a great job of being a number two guy and carrying out everything that Moses had said to him from the Lord. But now Joshua wasn't going to be number two. Now Joshua was going to be the man. Joshua was going to be the man. And if you want to know how difficult of a position this is, if you just turn back one page in your Bible, it says this about Moses. Deuteronomy 34, verses 7 and following. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses on the plains of Moab 30 days. And then when the days of the weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end, and then it goes on into the story, but it says this in verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. How would you like to follow that guy into your next job? I mean, this would be like you're going to be the next guard on the Chicago Bulls after Michael Jordan retires. And by the way, there was weeping in the whole city of Chicago for an extended period of time, but it wasn't 30 days in a row. I mean, these are 30 days of weeping of battle-hardened men who'd gone through 40 years of wilderness wandering, and he kept the nation together. And that's the kind of leader Joshua's going to follow. (laughs) That kind of leadership. By the way, following a great leader is really more difficult than following a terrible leader. I mean, there's nowhere to go but up when you follow a terrible leader. But following a great leader? But it wasn't only that. As we see going forward in the text, Joshua also needed courageous leadership because he was about to fight a different kind of warfare. This is the northern city of Dan. And there we get an example of walls at this time. They were over 30, 40 feet high. You know, Joshua had led military campaigns out on the plain. Now the next story that we're going to get to is Joshua is going to go to a walled city by the name of... How does he know what's going to happen then? But the issue isn't that he has to know how to do siege warfare or figure out everything else that's going to come. The issue is that he's got to follow a God that's going to command him. The issue is that he needs to listen to God. And not only that, as we go forward, I don't think in Bear County this year we're going to have to take on any walled cities. But we might have areas where we need to be strong and courageous. Like aging parents. Any of you had any aging parents? My sons might say, I'm their aging parent. Not quite yet. A year and a half ago, I performed the funeral for my mother. Every Saturday, I would call my mother... And I would talk to her and then I'd pray with her. She called me her son pastor. I had the joy of performing her funeral. But there's still Saturdays where I pick up the phone and I'm getting ready to call my mom. Or how about struggling kids? Or relationship difficulties? Or financial struggles? Or physical and medical issues? Or job uncertainty? Or heading to a new school? Or heading to a new position in life? You know, the truth of the matter is all of us are going to have some struggles that we're going to face. And all of us are going to need to be strong and courageous. The question is, what's the Bible going to tell us about being strong and courageous? What's the key for being strong and courageous in difficult times? Well, the text goes on and it says this. 
First of all, to be strong and courageous, you must know God's word. Look at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on, on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. One of the keys to being strong and courageous in the book of Joshua is we must know God's word. Amen? And one of the key phrases there about knowing God's word is meditating. The Hebrew word for meditation and what is involved in that is very different from what other kinds of Eastern meditation. If you've ever been involved, and sadly I was, in some Zen Buddhism and other things, there the idea of meditation is to empty your mind, which is a very dangerous thing. You do this by repeating mantras and other things. You empty your mind, but when you empty your mind, something's going to fill it. And there's two sources of spiritual power in the universe. One is God and the other is Satan. And I believe that that's a recipe for disaster when you empty your mind. Meditating in the Bible is very different. According to Joshua chapter one, meditating in the Bible is you fill your mind with the word of God. It's like Psalm one. How blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in it, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. You want to be that kind of person? You want to have that kind of result in your life? Then one of the keys is we must know the word of God. I arrived here on June 19th. It was my first full day in San Antonio. And I've been back and forth and going back to <coughs> Chicago. And we had gone back and forth. And finally, I'm here June 19th. And my first full day in San Antonio, we spent doing one of the most delightful things I can do, which is helping with the three-year-olds in vacation Bible school. Yeah. And they're great. I love, I love that. But then we come in here to the opening. We have like 500 kids singing and yelling and shouting and talking about God and memorizing scripture. And then they go home. And when they go home, do they see us delighting in knowing God's word? My wife just wrote a blog and in it she talked about her grandparents and the image and the impact they had. And she said she would come down when she would visit their home and she would catch them early in the morning on their knees reading the word of God and praying. Grandparents, is that the model that our grandkids are going to have? And so it's one of the challenges are for us to know God's word more, you need to be involved at least sometime somewhere in your day. Spend a little time somewhere in your day spending time learning the word of God. And I'm not talking about hours and hours. I'm talking about setting aside at least five, ten minutes somewhere in your day. For me, it means this. Before I go to ESPN on my phone and check on the scores or before I look at the news, I'm going to spend a determined amount of time with the word of God before I go to sports or news. Amen. That's just something I need to do in my own heart to prioritize God over other likes I have. My love for God over likes, okay? For you, it might be just finding the time sometimes. I know some people that take the daily bread and put it in their bathroom and then they, they read it in their bathroom. Have any of you ever gone to the bathroom? <laughs> that wasn't a joke. I mean, no, but I mean, we're going to spend some time. I mean, read it and you're like, should we do something as holy as reading God's word in the bathroom? Martin Luther, when he was here, he would used to go into the latrine and in the latrine, he would recite Psalms and scripture. 
And some of his disciples listening to him, reciting Psalms and scripture, true story, don't grumble, true story. Hearing him reciting scripture, they said, Martin, how dare you do something so holy in such a sinful place? And Martin said, whenever we recite the word of God, it turns a sinful place or a dirty place into a holy place. But he said, if you don't like that, let's do this. And seriously, he said this. And he said this. He said, when I go in, the Lord can have what goes up and the devil can have what goes down. <laughs> Honestly. Isn't that a great quote? Isn't that a great? Okay, maybe that's not wayside approved. Sorry about that. <laughs> Cut that out for Pastor Roger, that illustration, right? But seriously, how much time do we spend doing all kinds of other things? Can't we be a little more focused on our intention of spending time in God's word? And the answer is, yeah, I can do a better job and, and maybe you can too. It's enough to know God's word. That's the source of strength and courage in the Lord. Isn't it a great thing to know God's word? Don't you want to be known as people who know God's word? Do you want to know how many degrees I have about knowing God's word? By the way, right now you should say, I don't like this guy and you shouldn't. Go to Matthew chapter 23 and Jesus talks about the Pharisees. And he says, oh, they teach the word well. So listen when they teach, but don't do what they... See, one of the dangers of just knowing God's word, spending time in God's word, having degrees in God's word, becoming knowledgeable in God's word, is that that's not all that God said here. He said, not only that, to be strong and courageous, he said, you must also do God's word. It's not enough. It is not enough just to know God's word in your head. It's got to take up residence in your heart, and then it's got to come out of your hands, out of your life. It's got to be something, yes, you can meditate on day and night, but that you also live out. A Christian husband should look different than a non-Christian husband because he's commanded he must love his wife like Christ loved the church and was willing to die for her. That should look very different because you can't just be a hearer. You must be a doer. Look in verses 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous to be careful to do according to all the law Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. It is not just enough to know God's word, to hear on it, even though meditation is key and knowing God's word is very important. But in addition to that, we must do, we must act on God's word. It needs to change us. So if we know God's word and we do enough of it, we can earn his pleasure. This is the source of, oh... Should we know God's word? Should we ask God to cause us to want to do God's word? This is the one that for years I said, this was me. I was studying God's word. I was learning. I was trying to live it out. But I was trying to do so much of it just through my own effort. 
then I came across a couple of passages. The one, of course, you know, if you're here today and you don't, as you're listening to this, you're saying, well, what's wrong with knowing God's word and doing? What couple of passages, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, not as a result of works lest anyone should. Once we start thinking that we can earn our salvation, like I did 38 years ago, someone would have asked me, how do you know whether, if you died tonight, whether you would stand before God and he would let you into heaven? I said, well, I hope my good deeds outweigh my bad. Do you know what was so silly about that? I knew for sure my good deeds at that point would not outweigh my bad. I was living a terrible life. I was voted in high school the guy most likely to die partying. That's what my senior class voted me. I'm the guy most likely to die partying. My senior year, I, 52 weeks in a row, I had a party at my house that I charged a cover charge for people to come into. That's how I made money my senior year. My brother owned a nightclub down in Hagerstown, Maryland. I go there, fill my trunk with alcohol, bring it up and resell it at my state college. That's how I was paying my way through college. I was an entrepreneur. <laughs> Slightly illegal entrepreneur, but... My good weeds were not going to outweigh my bad. By the way, it wouldn't even matter if I had 100,000 good deeds and only one bad... I was a sinner and I was separated from God. And the only thing that could bridge that gap is God's free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says. But not only that, once I became a believer, now I'm involved with Campus Crusade and I'm growing in the Lord and everything's gonna become easy, right? Grumble, grumble, grumble. And I found out there, maybe if I just work a little bit harder, Galatians 3 Two and three. This is the only thing I'm going to find out from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the work of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The walk that I began on July 13th, 1978, in my dorm room at Penn State University by God's gracious gift of Jesus Christ, through me placing my faith, I had to receive a gift and place my faith that that God would forgive my sins. The walk that I began that day, my first number of years as a believer, I was trying to live out by working a little bit harder. And you know what? You just need to work a little bit harder. And I was becoming more and more frustrated in what was supposed to be the Christian life. And then I started to be challenged by a couple of men that would tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. They said, well, it's not that way at all. And they took me to passages like Galatians 5 and talked about the fruit of the Spirit and said, well, now as a believer, when you start to go to the Lord regularly and when you start to get to know his word and ask God to grow inside of you a godly appetite, he'll start growing fruit like Psalm 1 as you meditate on his word and as you spend time with the Lord, fruit will naturally start to grow in your life. And some of those old deeds of the flesh, anger, wrath, malice, hatred, gossip, they'll be decreasing. And naturally, love, joy, peace, and patience will start to increase in your life because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Welcome him and submit to him and ask him to live out through you and grant you greater fruitfulness. Stop asking God to help you work harder and ask God to 
to help to grow and cause to grow inside of you his fruit that makes a difference in how you live out your life. By the way, one other aspect, and this is where it really comes full bore. Not only did Joshua, and not only do we need to know more of God's word, and we need to live more of God's word, it needs to all be done in an attitude of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 24 times a key word is used, faith. By faith, in faith, through faith, 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 faith. And you say, well, how does this relate to Joshua, verse 29 and 30? For by faith they passed through the Red Sea, though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted, they were drowned. And by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they encircled them for seven days. Walls didn't fall down because Joshua learned a little more scripture, or because he worked a little bit harder, or had a little bit of better military strategy. Although he did learn scripture and he did work hard and he had military strategy, it was the craziest ever. But he obeyed God by faith, carrying out crazy military strategy, and God gave them a great victory. Because see, it's not just enough to know God's word. We also have to be busy about doing God's will, but all in an attitude of faith, not works. I wonder if any of these things resonate with you today. If you've just been tugging at something a little bit harder, saying, maybe if I do a little bit harder, I'll please the Lord. Tugging over and over and over again as a believer. If it has, maybe you need to ask the Lord to help cause within you to grow a godly appetite so that you might be more pleasing to the Lord by knowing his word, by doing his word, and walking in a life of faith. Would you bow with me as the worship team and we'll have a prayer team come forward that can also talk with you. You know, maybe you're here today and you said, man, I, I really hoped I could work my way to heaven. You can't. You can't. According to the truth of God's word, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. The only thing that can cover our filthiness, our sin, our religious struggling to do more and say more is the blood of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life died a sacrificial death on our behalf, was buried, was resurrected, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father on high, where he always lives to make intercession for us. That's the kind of Savior you can have, like I had now 37 years ago, by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying for me. You offer a free gift, and I take it. You could start that relationship today, but you might also be here and you might have been struggling to just live out a life that you can't even live on your own. Don't be like me and don't be like one of those foolish Galatians who thought maybe I could just do a little bit more. What you and I started by faith, if you're here as a believer in Christ, what we started by faith, we've got to walk every day by faith. And that's asking God through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you cause greater godly appetites to grow in us? Help me to want to spend more time in your word. Lord, help me to want to be alongside of other believers that will spur me on to love and good deeds, that will tell me the things I need to hear, not just what I want to hear. God, give me the grace to repent when I start to be like a Pharisee and think it's all about just knowing more when it's really about knowing you. So Father God, I ask that you would do a work that only you can do in our hearts convicting us of sin and judgment and righteousness and that we would covenant that we want to be 
more like Joshua, a godly leader in difficult times who knows you and your word, who wants to live it out. But above all, we want to walk by faith and bring honor and glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God's people said...